again and will take the podium. From NBC Sports and Vox Media, this is The Podium. So let's get into the head of Sean White. The shipment of the United States. Lindsey Vaughn, this is her chance now. And I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi. Welcome to day four of the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. Two very special guests on this episode of The Podium. Jamie Anderson is one of the most decorated snowboarders in the world and is now a two-time Olympic gold medalist after winning slope-style gold in Pyeongchang. And Julia Mancuso is a world-class athlete and a four-time Olympic medalist, the most ever for a female American alpine skier. She retired just before the 2018 Games, and you'll hear more about that in just a minute. But first, Anderson and Mancuso, they're both from Lake Tahoe. Now, are you ready for the best part? They're close friends. Julia, Jamie, welcome to the podium. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's so fun. Congratulations. Thank By the you. way, you secured the victory in Slopestyle Gold pretty early. Tell me about that first run. Walk me through it. First run, I actually was really excited to put it down so I didn't have to have so much stress. Um, but I felt some wind. I kind of switched up my run in the middle of it. I was planning on putting my nine in there. I just like was like, yep, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And when I got to the jump, I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm doing it. But my rails felt really good. In slope style, it's really hard to stay present. Sometimes you're thinking about your bigger tricks that are more like at the bottom of the course. And I try to just stay on like one rail at a time because there's a lot to focus on. So you definitely gain momentum. Like if you land your first rail, you're excited for the next one. And it kind of goes all the way down the course. I heard you talk about wind, and this is for both of you. A lot has been made about the weather here, and some athletes even going as far as to say it's unfair. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that the weather can be super challenging, and I feel pretty bummed that everyone was affected by the wind and that we weren't able to really showcase the level of riding that's possible. But I think one thing that is fair is that Everyone had bad conditions. It's not like it was perfect for some people and bad for others. I think we all kind of had to adjust our riding to the conditions. And competing in winter sports, you just never really know what the elements are going to bring. Julie, I love the support you gave her. Here is this you know, legend Olympian and on Twitter you're saying, you look, to defend gold, it's not that darn easy. <laughs> what impresses you most well, about Jamie? I mean, actually, this is the first time I've seen Jamie, so I didn't get to talk to her about it. But, of course, I was reading articles, and I wanted to see the coverage. And so I was reading about the weather controversy with the event. And what stood out for me is just reading about how Jamie was one of the athletes who was saying, like, we're in an outdoor sport. Let's be positive. It's going to be fun, and we're going to have fun today no matter what. And not kind of sitting there and saying, oh, it should be canceled, like, we should figure this out, it should be canceled, because at the end of the day, the people putting on the competition, they're the ones who are going to say it's on or it's off. In the end, it's about going out, competing, and having a positive attitude, and I think that's something that I think stood Jamie apart from the rest of everyone who was kind of, you know, complaining about it. It's really just, here we are, we love doing this, we're outdoors, you know, we're outdoor sport people at the Olympics, and <laughs> it's go time. This is it. From your inaugural slopestyle goal to now, what do you change? 
I think from Sochi, we saw a huge increase in writing, like just the progression. I was really intimidated seeing these like 17-year-olds coming out and doing double corks that I was still afraid of. And I've been snowboarding for like longer than they've been alive. But I think all I can really do is focus on my own strength. And that's like trying to have a strong mental game and like Jules was saying try to stay positive when things are crazy we can't always control the situations around us but we can control how we feel and how we react to things so just staying calm and collected and that's been kind of part of my competitive routine for a while like I always ride good when I'm happy and having fun and not in my head and trying to prove this or that or have certain expectations. I go out there with like a positive outlook and just want to have fun snowboarding. How do you get over that fear? Mm, Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have a lot of fear and I just decide to embrace it because I think so many people around the world would probably die to feel the nerves that I feel when I'm going up for an Olympic final and Sometimes I just like want it to be over and then I have to catch myself and remind myself what a privilege it is to have this pressure and really embody it because soon enough I'm going to be older and retired and looking back at like, I hope you enjoyed every moment. I'm listening to you talking about enjoying every moment and I'm wondering, Julia, if you did. (laughs) (laughs) Always, yeah. (laughs) Always enjoying every moment. Yeah, that's funny to listen to. Fun Olympics. Yeah, that's my hashtag, Fun Olympics. And it really has been that way for me because I'm in a sport where there's multiple superstars. I competed with Lindsey Vaughn the whole time, and I really had to not get caught up in who's going to win more and what records are you going to break because that's not who I am. I'm someone who loves my sport, and I was luckily good at it growing up, but I just love doing it. If I were mad if I lost every race, what does that say about the other 60 girls out there competing? I don't think it's fair to put yourself in a different place where you can't be happy unless you win. And I always took that attitude and it really brought me into more of a love for the sport because when I was younger, you know, I had to fight to make second run and I kept getting 31st. You have to be top 30 to qualify for the next run. And I think I was so focused on qualifying, like I have to get 30th, that I always got 31st, like multiple times by hundreds of a second. And that's when I realized, like, this isn't fun. I can't do this if I'm just trying to get a certain time or I'm just trying to be or ski a certain way. I have to do this to go back to growing up in the sport and loving it and being outside with my friends and really enjoying every moment. So it's a good way to be. (laughs) Competing against someone like Lindsey Vaughn and her competing against you, two greats. I'm listening to you guys talk and your friends. Is this culture like that, that kind of promotes female friendship, or is it more of a caddy culture? Yeah, I think that it can be both, but in the end, when you get away from competition or step away from competition, you build really great friendships. Also... I learned when I had my last race how strong these friendships that I made are and sometimes it takes a step getting a step away from it but sharing my last race with Lindsay there and she was crying and like couldn't believe that this 
era was over, you know, the era of us competing together. It was really emotional. And the crazy thing is these last three years, I put everything into making these Olympics. I wanted to compete. I wanted to walk into opening ceremonies with Jamie. I wanted to be a part of Team USA. And after my surgery, everything just didn't come back together. I was struggling. I was having a hard time just walking. And then everyone was like, why are you trying to ski? And it really is just the passion. I know that I have this talent to ski and it's second nature to me. And, um, you know, even though I can't walk, maybe I can pull something together on the ski slope. Gravity's my friend there and it's going to help me. And every, every race went by, every month went by and, and I had some really great moments, but I couldn't keep it together. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, okay, I either have to come down this downhill and show that I'm competitive so I can be named to the team, or I have to make the decision to retire. I had a really hard time on the course. I hit a really big bump and I was in so much pain I could barely finish the course. And I realized then, I don't know if it's worth competing in pain and going to the Olympics just to be a part of Team USA. I've had so many great memories. Like, why don't I make this really special? And that afternoon I decided at four, tomorrow I'm gonna go for it. And so I had some friends and my husband there and we went to basically a Walmart. We went to the fabric section and grabbed some red material. We went to the toy section and grabbed a tiara. We had spider Marvel race suits this year. So I was able to just kind of cut the legs off and sew some gold material as a belt, sew on my cape and slap on a tiara and race down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> was any part of that costume to mask the seriousness of the moment? Um, yeah, a lot of it. I mean, it was very emotional for me. And especially being a month before the Olympics, I was so excited to be there, but also my dream kind of floating away and also knowing that the Olympics are a huge part of participation, but it's about being the best you can be. And I knew I couldn't. So, uh, yeah, it was very emotional. And I felt the same, like I dressed up and I wanted to make it really fun so I didn't have to just explode in tears and um, I wanted to celebrate it. I didn't want to be sad. It's not about being sad and it took me a while to get to that moment where I can actually celebrate it, but um, I did and I'm so happy I was able to have my last run on a World Cup hill in that costume because that might just be one of the highlights of my career even though it was the last race. Earlier this week, reporter Tim Struby covered Red Gerard's gold medal winning run. And Tim's no Red Gerard, but he does have a few runs under his belt. So we sent him out to learn about alpine culture here in South Korea. At the age of 18, I dropped out of college and went to live as a ski bum in Colorado. I did, however, go back and finish. But since then, I've snowboarded all over the States, in Canada. I was even lucky enough to make it to the Austrian Alps. And now I'm here in Pyeongchang, and I wanted to see what alpine culture is like in South Korea. In terms of numbers, skiing isn't all that popular. South Korean ski resorts only get about 5 million visitors a year. In Japan, that number's more than 30 million. In the States, it's nearly 55 million. The day after the opening ceremony, I went over to the Yangpyeong Ski Resort, home to the giant slalom and slalom events. Yangpyeong was built in 1975. It was South Korea's first ski resort and remains its biggest. But it's definitely not the Tetons. 
The mountain tops out at just over 4,000 feet. Typical for South Korea, but paltry compared to the 10,000-foot slopes of, say, Colorado. This looks more like the mountains in New York. It's, it's kind of like a nice, gentle slope. There's obviously some nice runs. It looks like a good layout. And the lodge itself didn't look too different from what I'm used to. Wooden frame, lots of stone. And we meet a young snowboarder in the lobby, and she still had her helmet on from her day at the slopes. Uh, my name is Saram Lee. I'm in Korean. I'm from Incheon. And Lee is a pretty serious snowboarder. I go, like, whole season. Armed with her season pass, Lee's on the mountain at least once or twice a week during the winter. But Korean winters are different than what we're used to in the States. There just isn't that much snow. While it's more than cold enough, Pyeongchang doesn't get much moisture. The annual snowfall is only 100, maybe 150 inches, so most of the snow is man-made. To like, practice my skills, this artificial snow is just fine, but when you ski or snowboard on the natural snow, it's very soft and like, I feel more uh, safe. Lee learned to ski on natural snow in Newfoundland, Canada. When she was a kid, she took lessons with her parents. Skiing and the whole culture of winter sports was totally new to her mom and dad. My parents' generation, I don't think they really enjoyed this in winter sports. Actually, my parents think it's something like luxurious sports. So, like, we have to pay very much to enjoy this. And Lee tries to tell them it isn't true. We can still, like, buy the, like, season pass and save money or rentals. This is something we heard from almost every Korean skier and snowboarder we talked to. Koreans who came up starting in the 80s and 90s, their generation is really the first to grow up with a culture of winter sports. This is Kim Song-jong. She was out here with her husband and her son. You can hear him giggling in the background. She says that her parents never learned to ski. It's, it's really popular nowadays. It's not like the, the luxury sports any, anymore. It's like for every generation, it's really like a trend. And now, now not only parents bring the kids, like from school, they come here for a group and then learn how to ski. The younger generations grew up during South Korea's economic boom, so they had money for the lift tickets and rentals. And they had the luxury of time to learn. They also have money to spend on gear. I asked him if looking sharp on the mountain was important. Very, yes. <laughs> every year the trend shifts, so like every year she has to get like another gear for herself. So like this year that's why she selected this pants. For example, last year they had another pants that had like a total different style, different shape, and like it's just about the trend. The fashion really matters out here. He's big enough. That's An Hyo Sung. He works at Yangpyeong Ski Resort. He showed us around along with one of his co workers who was just starting out in snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's a beginner, he just started now, but he's like, everything is about his gear, like what he wears, and he's putting more importance into what to wear. He makes sure to dress like a pro, even though he's a beginner. Like, you want to look your best. That's Kristen Zubricki. She's Canadian, living in Seoul. She teaches English there. She was spending the weekend at Yongpyeong, and she said that while she rented all her gear, it's different for the Koreans she knows and works with. Even my co-teachers and I will talk about it, and like when they start a new hobby, they buy the best of everything that they need. So obviously, fashion matters. But it's not because there's a celebrity culture around the sport. Just the opposite. 
The Korean skiers and snowboarders we talk to don't really follow the international circuit or the stars. Who is your favorite snowboarders? I mean, do you follow the snowboarders in, in the pros? Uh, I'm not that into pro snowboarders, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know many. I also put this question to Chung Dong-il, a snowboarder we met by the resort locker. Do you watch snowboarding on TV or videos or video games? And don't have a famous snowboarder. That might change as Koreans start hitting the slopes outside of their home country. And I'm sorry to say it, but when I asked where they'd like to go most, it wasn't the Rockies or the Sierra Nevadas. They had their sights set further north. Okay, if you could go ski, snowboard anywhere in the world now, where do you want to go next? Canada. I really wanted to try Whistler's. Have you ever snowboarded outside of Korea? No. No? Do you want to? Yeah. Where? Canada. But after a long day of skiing, it doesn't matter if you're Canadian, American, or Korean. You all want the same thing. What do they do when they're off the slopes? BBQ, in drinking, soju, drink? <laughs> so or beer. Crispy chickens and beers. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically impossible to discuss men's snowboarding without one name. Sean White, of course. He's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a 13-time winner X Games gold medalist. He's been on the cover of Forbes, of Rolling Stone magazine, and is without question the biggest action sports star of his generation. He's 31, and he's now been a pro snowboarder for 18 years. He comes into this Olympics his fourth as one of the Winter Games elder statesmen, and he spoke with our reporter, Tim Struby. So Sean, I'm sure you've been asked every question imaginable. So what I did was go back to your first ever interview from 2003 from Transworld Snowboarding Magazine. <laughs> okay. And I thought it'd be cool to revisit those same questions. Oh, wow. But maybe with a little tweak on some of them. Okay. So I'll just start from the beginning. Um, <laughs> most of the video and photos we see of you are from parks. Do you, mm. want, do you spend any time in the backcountry? Oh, wow. Um... Uh, I do. It's just not that often, you know. I'm usually competing or working towards some new trick or goal in the parks, but um, and I don't feel the need to film it. I'm just having fun. <laughs> what do you do when you get home from all of your trips? Oh, man, I, I do nothing. It's the best. I just, like, I'll go to the grocery store and, like, pick out food, and then I'll go, like, walk the dog, or I'll do very simple things. I mean, that's, that's the best part about coming home is you just don't want to leave home. On that note, you've found a better balance in your life that I understand. Is that the case? Yeah, I like to think so. I mean, I kind of leave everything that's happening on the mountain on the mountain, and then I go home and just kind of live this normal life. Um, you know, it, it gets convoluted, though, because I do spend more time on the mountain than I do at home. So, you know, I'm always, like, longing for the other, you know, and especially when I have too much time at home. I'm like, gosh, I just would love to go snowboard right now. I'll go work towards something. But, um yeah, it's a nice, like, consistency in my life to be kind of uh, motivating. Is college in your future? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You know, we never know. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I've, I've missed that train, but I think I've done pretty well for myself without it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that sense. Deciding not to go to college was, you know, a... You know, tough but simple, simple scenario. I was already a professional snowboarder at 13. I was making great money, and um, snowboarding wasn't really a sport that you could kind of leave for 
four years and, and return and be on top still. Plus, at that point, there weren't really many online courses, mm -hmm. things like that, that you could take. But I remember being at that age, you know, joining the U.S. Olympic team. They had a program where if you became an Olympian, they would pay for six years of college for you. So mm -hmm. I was like, hmm, it's a good backup plan. So I really like went gung-ho and, and decided snowboarding was going to be my life's goal. Are you still a pro skateboarder? I have slightly retired from professional skateboarding, but I'm, I'm considering making a comeback now that the Summer Olympics is going to be hosting its first ever uh, skateboarding competitions. It seems like you have a pretty tight family. Is mm -hmm. it still the case? And, and, you know, how have they supported you over the years? Yeah, we're, we're really close, you know. I definitely don't, I think we don't spend as much time together as we used to. You know, everybody's growing up and they got their own lives and things going on, their own goals and, and jobs and things. But um, uh, yeah, they're great. They've always supported me. You know, they're all flying out here to, to you know, cheer for me at the Olympics. And, um, you know, they were really the ones in the beginning that drove me to the mountains, that made sure I was eating well, that was making sure I was getting my schoolwork done, that was... You know, there to support me through the good times as well as like the frustrating times and being injured and being unmotivated and, and, and needing them for those those very simple things that just support. Yeah. So growing up, you were surrounded by people twice your age, which must have been kind of yeah. weird. But now I understand you've been traveling with a fellow snowboarder, Toby Miller, who's 17, mm -hmm. almost half your age. How mm -hmm. is that helping your revive your love for snowboarding and appreciation for it well it's really funny because i'm now that older guy <laughs> you know what I'm saying? like yeah. when i was a kid yeah. it's like these these older guys are they got all these issues they got all this stuff they're dealing with girlfriends and all these it's got a house and a, you know what i mean i remember just sitting there like oh yeah my only worries are like learning new snowboard tricks if i could score some candy <laughs> nearby and like what what am i going to do tomorrow and, and where that candy is going to be um you know, and now being that older person for somebody else, I just laugh. I just think it's so funny because we'll be sitting together and he'll be like, really? Like, what? what's bugging you? I'm like, oh, man, I got all this stuff on my plate. I got a company to run and all these things, you know. And he's like, oh, that's cool, I guess. Well, you want to go skateboard? You want to go snowboard? You want to go, you know, have some fun? And, and it's really nice to have someone around that's always uh, upbeat and, and interested in and just the simple things of life, just having fun snowboarding and having fun enjoying the moment, um, you know, because you can get caught up in things without that. So it's been nice to have him around. Sean White is competing today for a third Olympic halfpipe gold against a field that also features Oregon's Ben Ferguson and Australia's Scotty James. Well, that'll do it for our show today. Tonight in primetime on NBC, Michaela Schifrin starts her Olympic program. She's looking to become the first back-to-back -back Olympic slalom gold medalist. Jonathan Hirsch produces our show. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. Our executive producer is Nishat Kerwa. Find more episodes of The Podium on Apple Podcasts. You can watch the Winter Olympics on the networks of NBC, and you can stream every event live on NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app. I'm Lauren Shahadi. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.